the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Monday, November 15th, 2021. I heard earlier on Charlie Kirk's show about this. It's still true as of now. CNN has three stories on Kamala Harris today, and they are about her frustrations and isolations from the Oval Office and everything centrifugal to that. My favorite headline of the three stories, quote, Kamala Harris struggles with her relationship with Biden, close quote. This article comes a little late, don't you think? Like by three years? I'm thinking of the 2019 candidates debate where Kamala Harris accused Joe Biden of racism for his position on busing as well as working with segregationist senators, all Democrats, by the way. Now, last year, to his credit, Stephen Colbert confronted Kamala Harris on how she could run, be the running mate of a man she accused of racism. And as is her wont with uncomfortable questions, she cackled through the answer, clearly hoping Colbert would drop it. The best she could muster around her nervous cackle was that, quote, it was a debate, close quote. She repeated this about four times in the hope Mr. Colbert would be satisfied by that answer and either join the laughter or just move on. The phrase, it was a debate, really is a cribbed version of it was only a debate or it was just a debate, meaning debates don't mean anything and nothing should be deduced from them. But if debates are meaningless, speech is meaningless, if you are trying to understand or divine someone's beliefs or positions. They who say it was only a debate are telling you it's all meaningless. Don't take what they say seriously. It just shouldn't matter because it just doesn't matter. Well, how do we deduce what Kamala Harris thinks or believes then? How are we supposed to make our judgments about her or anyone? Past performance is one indicator, sure. And Kamala Harris was a U.S. senator for five years and a state attorney general before that. That's more office holding, by the way, than Barack Obama had before he ran for president. Yet we know a lot, knew a lot more about Barack Obama in 2007 and 2008 than we did Kamala Harris, didn't we? Tell me, mention one distinguishable or distinguishing or notable thing about Kamala Harris's tenure in the Senate or tenure as California's attorney general. You'll come up blank. So this tells us Joe Biden chose her as a running mate for some other reason, something else. Nothing she said, obviously. Nothing she's done. Perhaps it's what she represents. California, an important state to win. But given all known history, Joe Biden could have chosen Bernie Sanders as a running mate as much as he could have chosen John McCain's wife or Ron DeSantis, and he would have still won California. Just as Barack Obama could win California, irrespective of Joe Biden being his running mate, just as much as Hillary Clinton could and did win California, irrespective of whoever it is that ran with her for the presidency in 2016. Quick, can you tell me who that was? No. Didn't matter. So he must have chosen Kamala Harris for yet some other reason. Perhaps the post-election headlines give us 
a hint. Let's run through just a sample. Quote, Kamala Harris, a role model for all generations. Quote, Kamala Harris, serving as role model, role model for women. Quote, Kamala Harris is role model and reminder of how far we still have to go. Quote, Kamala Harris is the ultimate role model for young minority women. Quote, Kamala Harris has become a role model for minorities and women. I could go on and on and on, but those are just the first five results of over two million stories on social and legacy media about how Kamala Harris will be or is a role model for women and minorities. She constituting both. The temptation is to let this pass without comment. But for those of us that actually care about women's equality and achievement, for those of us that actually care about minorities' equality and achievement, we cannot let it pass. To select or appoint or admit or give a job or promotion to someone based on nothing they had control over or nothing they did other than be born a certain way is to say, sotto voce, because of that attribute, gender, race, you name it, they are good. They are qualified. They are very good. They are very qualified. The immutable characteristic that takes no volition to achieve except from God is designated as a positive. Because of your race and gender, you are qualified or most qualified. It is, ipso facto, a positive. But let's run this syllogism down a bit, shall we? If you are good or great or more qualified because of your race or gender, someone must be less so because of their race or differing gender. That's one way to go. That gets you to a phrase at the heart of the old 1970s Bakke decision, what was once called reverse racism. The civil rights establishment voided that phrase because it was inconvenient, so we speak no longer of that, though it remains unsolved. The other way to go is that by dint of your race or gender, you are ipso facto qualified or more qualified than anyone else. For a while, the left did try to say this quiet part out loud with the word diversity. But that stopped working. People weren't believing it. They weren't seeing it. So it was trebled up. Now we have diversity, inclusion, and equity as a phrase, D-I-E. But whatever you call it, this is what it boils down to. If you are X, you are qualified to do A through Z. Well, Kamala Harris is X, but nobody who thinks she's qualified to be vice president or, for that matter, attorney general or senator, also thinks Condoleezza Rice, who is X, is better than Kamala Harris or even quite as good. Just ask the ladies of The View who, as one of the Caucasian women on that show, tried to explain civil rights to Dr. Rice, a Ph.D. attaining Senate-confirmed federal cabinet member, who watched her friends get killed in a racist church bombing in her hometown of Birmingham. It dawns on me that there are a lot of exes in society. Kate Cole James, the erstwhile president of the Heritage Foundation, she was a black woman. Winsome Sears is a black woman, too. There are a lot of black women in public office or public life. Candace Owens is a black woman. But Rice, James, Sears, Owens, and a whole lot more were never presented to the public of young exes to be role models, glass ceiling shatterers, or 
anything like that. They were to be mocked, diminished, dismissed, and ignored. Ever watched the movie W about George Bush, played by Barbara Streisand's husband? Dr. Rice is depicted as nothing more than a secretary, not of state, but of a clerical nature, good for dialing people up on the phone for the president and taking notes, not much else. But now an ineffable problem seems to arise. What if just by chance the X of the moment is a failure, is incompetent, does not appreciate the heft of her job or the impact it has on her fellow Americans? I raise this as two stories converge. The vice president has hired two image consultants and her poll numbers have gone down to 28 percent. Lower than Dick Cheney's ever. The most unpopular vice president until now. One could say, well, 72 percent of the American people have no idea what they are talking about and that Kamala Harris has succeeded at everything she's been tasked with, starting with the border. But also, as one aggregated list has it, directing U.S. competitiveness in outer space, extending broadband service back on Earth, selling the president's multi-trillion dollar jobs bill, unionizing the U.S. workforce, coordinating relations with world leaders, advocating for the rights of women and girls, serving as a watchdog on social equity issues and preventing the planet from overheating. Here I am adding just one more, her current or most recent trip to France which has been written as a charm offensive to help fix relations between the U.S. and France, relations which were harmed not by the previous president, but by Joe Biden for not knowing about a weapons deal he fleeced France out of. And this weekend, breaking all barriers for women and children, knowing she is their role model, to show the seriousness with which she can achieve station and they can achieve success, To dismiss or dismantle the prejudices or assumptions, she was asked by a reporter about Russia's possible invasion of Ukraine. She replied, quote, I cannot talk to you about classified information. Obviously, it wasn't classified to the reporter who asked her. I can't talk to you about classified information, but we are very concerned about that and closely paying attention to it, close quote. Very concerned about that and closely paying attention to it. She then proceeded to show off her recent shopping spree purchases of pots and skillets. Not making this up. I cannot talk to you about classified information, but we are very concerned about that and closely paying attention to it. Sounds just like Churchill and Roosevelt, doesn't it? Or Kennedy or Reagan or Jean Kirkpatrick or Condi Rice or really any world leader asked about the invasion of an ally by an opponent. No, it doesn't. The problem is this. Kamala Harris is, in fact, not succeeding at anything. So it presents the problem we asked about above. If your race and gender are your qualifications, what is to be said about you, your race, or your gender when you fail and fail miserably? And does that set back or propel forward the cause of civil and gender rights. Some years ago, Professor Shelby Steele wrote the following about these race and gender-based policies. He wrote, quote, they solidify more racism, raising the specter of the stigma of questionable competence. He goes on, I don't think racial preferences are a protection against subtle discrimination. I think they contribute to it. 
In any workplace, racial preferences will always create two-tiered populations composed of preferreds and unpreferreds. In the case of blacks and whites, for instance, racial preferences imply that whites are superior just as they imply that blacks are inferior. They are not only reinforcing America's oldest racial myths, but for blacks they have the effect of stigmatizing the already stigmatized. He goes on, I think that much of the subtle discrimination that blacks talk about is often discrimination against the stigma of questionable competence that affirmative action marks blacks with. In this sense, preferences make scapegoats of the very people they seek to help. And it may be that at a certain level, employers imposing a glass ceiling, but this may not be against the race so much as against the race's reputation for having advanced by color as much as by competence. This ceiling is the point at which corporations shift the emphasis from color to competency and stop playing the affirmative action game. Here, preference backfires for blacks and becomes a taint that holds them back. Of course, one could argue, he continues, that this taint, which is, after all, in the minds of whites, becomes nothing more than an excuse to discriminate against blacks. And certainly the result is the same in either case. Blacks don't get past the glass ceiling. But this argument does not get around the fact that racial preferences now taint this color with a new theme of suspicion that makes blacks even more vulnerable to discrimination. In this crucial yet gray area of perceived competence, preferences make whites look better than they are and blacks worse while doing nothing whatever to stop the very real discrimination that blacks encounter. I don't wish to justify the glass ceiling, only suggest the very subtle ways that affirmative action revives rather than extinguishes the old rationalizations for racial discrimination. Preferential treatment, he concludes, does not teach skills or educate or instill motivation. It only passes out entitlement by color, close quote. One might add gender. What Professor Steele is saying is that there's really a bad joke taking place in all of this thinking. And it reinforces the idea that someone achieved something because of their color or gender, not because of their competence or their character. That, once upon a time, energized every single person calling themselves a civil rights activist to activate. So we arrive here. Once the entitlement is achieved and the person received that entitlement because of her race or gender and then fails, what is to be said? A hugely successful black female vice president is a phrase any one of us would wish to say. Nobody would ever say the opposite. It's racism to talk of people like that. But then again, maybe we're taking instruction from Ms. Harris in her debate with Joe Biden. Maybe words don't mean anything or have any consequence. We're all too smart to believe that, though, aren't we? After all, when used by the wrong perspective, words we are told constitute violence. Right now? I'm a little more worried about the violence of Russia, China, and that flowing into the U.S. via our borders. Those we are told not to pay attention to either, just like words in a debate. You know what this all means? Words, just like Kamala Harris, have lost all their and her meaning. And you know what that means? The race and gender conscious effort of the day has just used Kamala Harris to set back civil rights. Or as they say, Kamala Harris has turned the clock of civil rights back because of the very way she, herself, succeeded to her post and was praised all along. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back.
I have a feeling – welcome back, folks. I have a feeling um, it's going to be a big news day. Uh, it's not even really a feeling if you turn on television or tune into any other media. The, um, the case against uh, the prosecution of Kyle Rittenhouse in Kenosha is, um, is concluding as we speak with uh, closing arguments from the defense. Defense in these kinds of cases, criminal cases, gets the last word. Uh, prosecution does first closing argument, and then the uh, defense does the uh, second, the final closing argument. So it's possible, it's possible that we will have a verdict tonight. It's possible. I don't know whether to wager on this. I probably shouldn't. But if it's not to my, tonight, given the clarity of the case, the evidence, the testimony, it won't be probably later than tomorrow morning. I couldn't imagine. And then, of course, that raises all kinds of worries and concerns. One of the worries and concerns is what's going on in Kenosha right now as we speak. Businesses closing, National Guard called out to protect the city, windows of shops boarded up. I'm going to tell you something right now that's eminently true. All of that effort from the National Guard to stores closing and windows being boarded up, all of that effort is being done in case of one verdict. Not either verdict. One verdict. Well, how can you say that, Liebson? Because of what brought us to this place in the first place. Because of what cities throughout this country went through. Especially in 2020 and that summer. Cities from Kenosha to Boston to Phoenix to Scottsdale to Oakland to Sacramento to San Francisco to San Diego to throughout the Midwest and including Chicago, Seattle and Portland. I don't need to read you a map of the United States, but a map of the United States would be close to fair in talking about the riots of last year. They came from one side, one political side, not two. I'll have more to say about that in just a few moments. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 past the hour brings us John Dombrowski. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. He gives us our culture and economy update at this time every day. His website is grandcanyonplanning.com. He also has his own radio show right here on 960 a.m. every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. J.D., happy Monday. Happy Monday, Seth. How's it going? It's I'm it, everything is going really well. Thank you, sir. Yeah, great. Um, and if you live in Wisconsin, mm. there's two big stories. Obviously, the Rittenhouse trial. But for sports fans and mm-hmm. stock investors, perhaps, right? 
Cheeseheads, yes. the Green Bay Packers has an interesting offer, huh? Uh, they do. Right now they are for the, uh, I think, sixth time in their history, they're offering a stock sale in the team. And uh, this is interesting because if you were to check and see how many uh, NFL teams are owned by the public, uh, you're going to find only one, and that is the Green Bay Packers. They do have uh, outstanding shares. I think it's about 300-plus thousand shares are owned by the fans mm-hmm. out there, which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting. And again, once again, they are going to be selling stock. Uh, 300,000 shares is going to be traded at $300 for each share, plus they have they call it a handling fee. And it's only going to be offered to the United States, Guam, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. So if you want to own a piece of cheese or cheese heads, uh, (laughs) yes, you can go ahead. And uh, I think shares are going to go on sale tomorrow. But certain states are going to be – they're going to have to register for this. So I don't know if all of this has been completed yet. But they're going to run this through uh, February of 2022. They'll be offering these shares for sale. So – Interesting thought. Do I think it's a great investment? That would be the next yeah, question. Yeah, I was right? going to ask you because I think I know the answer. <laughs> yeah. And it's not because of no. their wins or losses, really. No. It has no. nothing to do no. with them. But go ahead and give that answer. Yeah. No, it's really going to be just uh, you know a little bit of pride of ownership right. to be able to hang the certificate on the wall of your uh, you know, maybe your little cave that you, I'm not going to even call it a man cave because there's a lot of women out there also sure. yep. who would love probably to own a piece of the team and they can do that. Do I think it's going to, you know, be something that's a great investment? Eh, I wouldn't buy it for that. But if you want to own a piece of the team and you want to buy a share too, or maybe give shares to a friend who's a cheesehead fan. Yeah. That'd be a great, be a great gift. Christmas I have someone in this office whom you gift. know. Yeah. Yep. Diane is a huge yes. cheesehead. Yes. So there you go. That would be a great What is the gift. opposite of a man cave, by the way? A she field? No, it's a well, she shed probably. They do have the she sheds, yeah. right? And the he shed. And, yeah. And, you know, yeah. yeah. So, so so for Maybe the she sheds shed. and the man caves, yeah. it's a great yeah. thing. But not, yeah. not for returns. They actually, no. I think, tell you you're not to expect returns. I think I, think, yeah. I, think I saw something like that. Mm-hmm. There's this other interesting uh, – Thank you, by the way, for, for bringing that sure. to our attention. There is this other interesting story, sort of. I think it's interesting. And, and it's that, that the chairman of the Fed mm-hmm. might, might not be Jerome Powell anymore. Right. It might be, but right. it might not be. It might be uh, someone else that Joe Biden is considering because the four-year term is up, uh, one Lyle Brennard, right? Uh, that is, yeah. So uh, it, there's been this, this talk about this, and you're hearing there's a lot of politics behind it as well. So. Are there? Yeah. <laughs> Are there? On a presidential appo- – Senate-confirmed yes. presidential appointment in Washington, yeah. there's Ex- politics, John? Exactly right. <laughs> okay. So, you know, even though I think both sides would agree that, uh, you know, the current Fed Chair Powell has done a, a good job uh, with uh, controlling uh, the Fed over the past number of years that he's held that position, um, the challenge, of course, is, is that uh, the Democrats know that if they have someone who is – a registered Democrat, they believe there's going to be more uh, ability for them possibly to sway the, yeah. uh, the you know, whoever that person is right. and to be able to get some additional uh, – Someone who wants the team to succeed, especially yeah. in an age of higher inflation, right? Right. Yeah. So that's, that, that is the challenge really right now for the Fed more than sure. anything else it as far as I'm concerned. Yep. And I think most consumers are concerned, right? 
Uh, without question. Yeah. I mean, I just saw a study. I guess it was a variety of different uh, food uh, you know, items that we would all consume, and uh, breakfast seems to be getting more expensive is what all I would say when you're seeing bacon prices up 20%. You've been to McDonald's lately, John? Uh, no, I haven't gone. Try, try, getting a, try getting a cheeseburger, a soda, and yeah. fries, the mm. standard basic thing My at McDonald's. My credit card limit's not high Exactly enough. right. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. right. Bank of America will call you. Yes. Well, Suspect, there you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if right. not suspecting fraud. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. Knowing how you look, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, right. you know, we're, we're hoping that this is not going to be long-lasting, right. but uh, we're all certainly feeling it. We know that uh, the cost of a turkey dinner for Thanksgiving this year is going to be the highest ever recorded history. There you go. So. Yeah, nothing to celebrate. Not an achievement. Yep. Devoutly to be wished, but so, JD, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I know many people want to try to outpace inflation, and how are you going to do that? Well, you've got to have the right investments, yep. and I encourage people to call me, and uh, they can go to our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com, and request an appointment right there. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finra Tipic and an investment advisor. Grand Canyon Plenty Associates LLC and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Nicely done, JD. Thank you, Seth. John Dombrowski. Thank you, sir. Bye bye. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. If, you, um, if you've been uh, hearing, hearing me out over the last, I don't know, two weeks or so, maybe, maybe uh, two to three weeks, I have been fascinated and consumed by, casual con- in, by learning through casual conversation the number of people I run into – who simply just don't know what we know, which is basically the whole story or the rest of the story about every story. I can give you example after example. You've heard me talk about people who goodwilled, I mean, politically not aligned with us, but goodwilled and, and meaning no mean, mean, meaning no obfuscation or, 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 or untruths simply have no idea that there were violent riots in America last summer who believe things like COVID is a death sentence, who believe things like the January 6th riot was a white supremacist event. People who think that the vaccine for COVID prevents transmission or your own hospitalization or death. The list goes on. And I'm, I'm relating it back to this Kyle Rittenhouse trial and the story that the National Guard has been brought into, dispatched to Kenosha, Wisconsin. Businesses are boarding up, windows and shutting down because of the concern over what will result after the verdict. And I said that the National Guard and the businesses shutting down and the, uh, the entrenchment in Kenosha is based upon only one verdict, not either outcome, not either verdict. It's only based on the outcome of one verdict, the potential outcome 
of one verdict. And that verdict would be not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. Or those verdicts would be not guilty. There would likely, to within a certainty, be no need for the National Guard or businesses to shudder should Mr. Rittenhouse be found guilty. That's just not the case. And if you try to discuss that with someone who doesn't already agree with that proposition, you're going to be talked into believing or attempted to be talked into believing how violent the right or the conservative movement in America is. See January 6th. Fine. Fine. And the moment someone can show me a Republican leader, a Republican donor, a conservative spokesman who instigated or defended January 6th, I'll take you seriously. You cannot. You can, however, find the aforementioned Kamala Harris and other prominent Democrats supporting what took place last summer in this country or walking away from it like a doubting Thomas, as Nancy Pelosi did when she was asked about a riot in Baltimore and she her hometown. And she said, people will do what people will do. Let me put it squarely. January 6th was denounced by every conservative commentator with a microphone and pen and a Republican elected leader, including that day on this show. Bill, my producer, can validate I, I was writing monologues in those days, and I changed my monologue on a dime an hour before the show because of what I was watching happen in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. And you can have people writing columns about the thousands and thousands who stormed the Capitol that day. And those sentences would be fully incorrect. They have run in the Arizona Republic. They have run on the Arizona Republic op-ed page. They have been uttered all over television. They have been throughout social media. And they have been printed in national as well as other local papers. None of it is correct. None of it is correct. You will hear about the multiple people who were killed on January 6th. That is not true either. One person was killed on January 6th. And it was one of the people who broke into the Capitol, who was fired upon while she did not have a weapon. And while she was not confronting a police or Capitol officer or anyone else, she was shot in the back unarmed. If you don't listen to this show, you don't know her name. And you probably don't know the name of the cop who shot her. In any event, this is what people think is true. That several people, almost 10, AOC wrote, almost 10 were killed on January 6th. They weren't. One was. One was. So let me give you a few other facts of perspective on why I say what I say about what will transpire, potentially transpire on January, uh, excuse me, potentially transpire 
transpire in Kenosha if Kyle Rittenhouse is found not guilty. If he is found not guilty, I believe there is a potential for violence. This is a scalp that is wanted. January 6th was about 4% as bad as last summer. 4% is bad. Why do I say that? Just as a matter of arrest and numbers. Just as a matter of arrests and numbers. 23 times the number of people arrested on January 6th were arrested last summer. 14,000 people were arrested last summer for rioting. 30 people were killed. 30. 30. Not one. 30. Businesses went bankrupt. Billions of dollars of damage was caused. And then we get this kind of nonsense that will be the coin of the realm and take its currency. Inflated, but currency. Cori Bush, you know her? member of the squad, congresswoman from Missouri. She just tweeted this today. Quote, when we marched in Ferguson, white supremacists would hide behind a hill near where Michael Brown was murdered and shoot at us. They never faced consequences. If Kyle Rittenhouse gets acquitted, it tells them that even seven years later, they can still get away with it. I'm going to tell you something. That didn't happen. It didn't happen. When people were marching in Ferguson after Michael Brown's death, white supremacists were not hiding behind a hill shooting at people like Cori Bush. You can say anything you want. After all, it's just a debate. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, Gerard Baker over at the Wall Street Journal has a piece out today that kind of gets to some of what I was just talking about, what it is people believe, the vast majority of people in this country actually believe, things that simply are not factually true. They're only true in the world of my truth. We can spend some time talking about that if you want, but Kyle Rittenhouse is a domestic terrorist. Brett Kavanaugh is a rapist. Donald Trump won in 2016 because he colluded with the Kremlin. Nick Sandman, the boy from Covington Catholic High School on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, was an entitled white bigot. Donald Trump said the neo-Nazis at Charlottesville were good people. Last year's riots were mostly peaceful. Unarmed black men are routinely shot in huge numbers by police officers hunted down, in Colin Kaepernick's words. And, of course, Hunter Biden's laptop was a Russian plot. We could go on with the things that people believe, sincerely believe, sincerely. There's a group of people that know better. I'm not talking about them. Those are people who set a... Those are knaves who set a trap for fools. I'm talking about people who don't know that if you get your news from CNN or your local newspaper, the chances are 
you're getting about 50% of any story, and it comes with a twist. Shaken and not stirred. It comes with a twist. I gave you it. I just gave it to you. And these people just don't know differently. They have no concept. And that's why when people say, how do the Democrats get away with X? How many conversations have you had with friends saying, how can people allow this? How is this tolerable? How can we get away? With, how, how, how does so-and-so get away with saying this? Well, there are fools and there are knaves. There is knavery and there is foolishness. Except there's more knavery than foolishness. I don't think someone is a fool if they simply don't know any better and trust the mainstream and legacy media. After all, we've been told to do so. After all, we've been told the First Amendment is there to protect the freedom of the press to pursue any story that is good for public information. And we all played that game, except the designers of that game changed the rules. And they no longer do believe that reporting in the public interest is their duty. They believe that reporting for the public interest of their preference is their duty. It's knavery, all right. But it's knavery that makes politics darn near impossible. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.